Well, it's Father's Day, and I'm excited about Father's Day, um, and so I want to give you a Father's Day talk. This doesn't normally happen, but I feel like God wants me to talk to you about fathers today, all right? A few years ago, probably, uh, I don't know, I was trying to work out how long ago, maybe eight or ten years ago, uh, a prophet called Ginny Burgin was amongst us, and I don't know how many of the guys remember this, but she did a men's evening with us. And uh, she gave us a phenomenal prophetic word right at the, the start of this church in the early days, a prophetic word about raising powerful men at Jubilee, men who would be godly and do exploits for God. She spoke right into the early days of the church and spoke to men being raised up. And it was such a witness to us. We've been praying. We love women. I just want you to understand. Oh, don't take that in the wrong way. <laughs> we... I love women, <laughs> but you know, when you've got godly, powerful men in a church, it shifts something, and uh, we were excited about that idea. If you look at the statistics across the country, churches are still made up in the majority by women. It's not so in this church. We have an almost equal number of men and women, something that we asked God for. It was something that was prophesied to us. And Ginny took us to uh, the passage in 2 Samuel 23, which lists all of the heroes of David's men and their exploits. And rather cheekily, she said, I think you're going to have some of Davy's mighty men here in this church. Now, I don't know about the Davy thing. I don't know about that. But I am very excited about the thought of a, a group of men who are powerful like that and who know who they are in God. I mean, I just love reading that passage in 2 Samuel where, you know, the, the, the man who was the chief of three, who raised a spear at 800 men and killed them all in one encounter. <laughs> I love that. Or, or the man who fought the Philistines so hard and for so long that his hand froze to the sword. I mean, how cool is that? The sword that he killed them all with he couldn't let go of or the man who one day went down into a snowy pit killed a lion we don't even know why he killed the lion but he just did I love that it kind of puts something a in me it does something in me and in my manhood I want men to be like that men who are warriors for God men who are fearless and will take amazing steps of faith and I think the women like that too so I think the women like that a lot so unashamedly I want to address the men today and especially those who are fathers amongst us this message is for you especially but this message is also for those who have been fathered and I hope that as I share with you today it will help us to appreciate the fathers in our lives uh, for us to be able to give thanks to God for the role that they have played And even for those that perhaps have not been fathered so well, I'm trusting that what I say today will help you to see some of the voids in your life that can then turn into opportunities for your heavenly father to fill. (laughs) That's what I'm believing for, that 
he will bring some healing for you today. He'll bring some strength for you today. Or for those who are single mothers, I think what I am going to say today is going to help you as well. Uh, because as I talk about the role of fathers, I hope what it will show you is the role that fathers do play in the lives of our children. And perhaps you'll be able to see how other people can be involved in helping you to parent your children and fill some of those gaps and to equip you in the difficult job that you have. That's my prayer, because I want this to be for everybody today. And so I want to talk today about five things that make great fathers. And quite amazingly, I've managed to start every one of those things with the letter P, so that you can remember those things. So here's the first one, protective. A great father is protective. Do you know, I... That, that, he's my hero, okay, this is Action Man, and uh, this protective thing, it, you can't help it. I remember when Alison was pregnant for the first time, I became this protective man. You know, I'd go in front of her all the time, protect her, and I got this obsession on me, we have to move house so that we live somewhere safer. Before that, I didn't mind the problems in the street, the problems next door. It didn't bother me too much. As soon as I knew we had a baby on the way, I was obsessed. We are going to move house, and we're going to go somewhere where there's a garden. We're going to go somewhere where our children can be raised and go to a reasonable school. The protective thing comes out so quickly, so early, it even surprises me. But a great father will be protective. A great father will watch over your life. He will point out areas of danger for you. He will obstruct paths that take you into danger. Although you may find, some of you, this aspect of your fathering, your father, sorry, an irritation. You might find that his protectiveness annoys you because he'll stop you in your tracks on the way out the door with questions like, where are you going dressed like that, young lady? (laughs) Or he will be waiting as you get back rather too late and want to know where on earth you've been and who you've been with. He will be the man who's hovering over your shoulder with what is that you're looking at on your computer or who are you texting at this time of night? And of course, there's always the, what time will I be picking you up then? I don't mind what time it is, I'll be there. That's a protective father. It may be irritating to you, but that's part of his role. That's part of the role of a great father. He will take responsibility for your welfare and your safety. He will put himself between you and areas of danger he perceives. He will look to protect you from things that you may have little or no knowledge or understanding of. You know, his headship and authority shelters you from dangers of a spiritual nature. I really believe that. You know, his prayers are a shield for you. His integrity are covering over you, holding you, preventing you, keeping you, praying a wall of protection over you, releasing you, but not too much, praying around you and sending angels after you to guard you in all your ways. A great father will also be a protector from emotional dangers, spiritual and emotional. He will guard you and warn you against those who seek to abuse or control you. He'll be a wall to you, a boundary who keeps the bad stuff out and the good things in. He'll protect you emotionally. He will protect you sometimes in his silence. So he won't tell you certain things. He'll keep them from you because he doesn't want to worry you. 
He won't burden you with things that he's carrying. He'll take care of things so that you can live peacefully and without fear. That's what great fathers do. Now, the sad thing, of course, is that we don't always know or appreciate the protection that our fathers have given us because of the very protection that they have given. (laughs) Sometimes it's not until we leave home I remember leaving home and phoning my dad to say, Dad, thanks, and then just putting the phone down. (laughs) And then when we had kids, I thanked them both a lot (laughs) because I didn't realize all the endless nights, all the stress, all of the hours. Sometimes we don't appreciate them until we leave home or until they are gone when we begin to realize what they have done for us, the sacrifices they've made. There's a great great picture of this, I think, in the relationship of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was a father to Elisha, and Elisha, you know, he didn't need to worry about anything when Elijah was around. All that Elisha had to do was pour water on Elijah's hands. It's a picture of servanthood. He would look after him. He would care for his needs. He would support him in that way practically. And as long as Elijah was around, Elisha had no stress in his life. But there came a day when Elijah was taken from Elisha, and as Elijah was swept up and away in that heavenly chariot, Elijah's mantle fell to the ground at Elisha's feet, and the responsibility came with it. Elisha turned around in that moment, and he immediately faced an obstacle. There was a river that he couldn't cross. (laughs) You know, previously, he wouldn't have had to worry about such things because Elijah took care of it. But there was a river that needed crossing. Now he was alone. What was he going to do about it? Where was he going to look to? (laughs) He cried out to God. He picked up the mantle and he said, now where is the God of Elijah? And he struck the water and the water parted. The same God who'd been with Elijah was with Elisha and he crossed over. And I just want to say to you dads, you know, perhaps there's some mantles that you need to pick up today. There's some mantles of greatness, attributes or responsibilities that you've seen in your dad that you need to pick up today. There's some things that you need to be carrying, some responsibilities that you need to be wearing well in these days. Now, where is the God of my father? Where is the God of Elijah? So a great father is, number one, a protector, even though we don't always appreciate it until after they've gone. Secondly, a great father is a provider. This is about feeding and clothing and shelter, of course. I mean, fathers, the Bible is clear that we have a particular responsibility to care for our families, to provide for them. So don't just leave it to chance or don't just leave it to your wife. You need to earn well and provide well. You need to look after that aspect of life. But it's also so much more than money and possessions that we're talking about here. I mean, a great father provides wisdom. (laughs) He provides friendship. He provides counsel, perspective, insight. A great father does more than feed you. He adds to your life. He adds something to your life. He's a giver. He's generous. But he's not generous with everything. He also knows how to say no. 
He's not afraid to say no because he knows that if he doesn't say no, it's going to harm you. Can you say no to your children, fathers? You know, there's, there's something called pester power. <laughs> it's used by the media, pester power. Just keep pestering. We need dads who can say no. We need dads who look out for their kids in such a way that they're prepared to cope with the emotional trauma of saying no. Stand your ground. We need to say no. We need to be able to stand by what we say. We need to be able to say no as well as yes. We need to teach them to take responsibility, to look after the things that they own, to value what they have, but also to trust God. (laughs) Many times our kids have asked for things that we've not been able to provide for them. And so we've encouraged them to pray and ask God, sometimes with comical results. So, for example, Alison, being the kind of mother that she is, the diligent, careful mother, dealt with the pest to power of my son Sam very well when he was asking for guns and swords, and he says, no, you won't have such a thing. And we'd been teaching him about the importance of prayer and asking God for things. So on one particular occasion, we were on a beach and we'd been to a castle that day and he'd seen a sword that he wanted. And Alison stood her ground on that beach and she said, no, Sam, you will not have a sword. I didn't know why, but suddenly this is a very important thing. (laughs) Sam's response is, well, I will ask Jesus then. (laughs) And he marches off all five years old of him up the beach and about, I'm not kidding you, about half an hour later, he comes back with a wooden sword, just like the one he'd seen, and said, Jesus gave it to me. I said, where did you get that? <laughs> and he'd literally been over the sand dune, and he found it half buried in the sand dune, and he said, Jesus gave it to me. And he used to go around singing, my sword, my sword shall swing, my sword, my sword shall <laughs> So, you see, in, in the end, <laughs> in the end, we need to teach our kids that God is a provider. He's the ultimate provider. It's even in his name. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. But it's not Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> we need to teach our kids a good work ethic, too. Because if we just give them stuff all the time, we do them no favours. And in the end, a great father is a provider, but he teaches his children to value things too. Fathers, you need to model. Fathers, you need to model a good work ethic to your children, a balanced attitude to work. You know, your attitude to work, how you work, the way that you work, how you speak about your boss. You're putting something into your children. You're making the providers of the future. They will be good fathers too because of your model to them. Great fathers are good providers. Thirdly, good fathers are promoters. You know, a great father is their children's greatest fan and cheerleader. This is my favorite bit of being a dad. You know, a great father knows how to encourage their children specifically. They'll speak highly of their children in public and in private. 
And God the Father is our best example of this. He publicly commended Jesus with, this is my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with him. I think he's great. Look at him, listen to him, look at him, my son. And I think fathers have a particular role in building a child's self-esteem with their words. And they have much more weight than we realize, which is why I think Paul addresses or warns fathers in particular when he commands them in Ephesians not to exasperate or vex their children. Do you know the power of your words, dads? And taking time out just to tell my children how amazing they are, how much I appreciate them, has been one of my greatest privileges as a father. And it never seems to get tired, especially if what you say is specific to your children. And just recently I was saying to my daughter, Becky, who's all grown up and everything now, but I was just saying to her how proud I was of her and how much I admired her. And she just sort of smiled and coyly and charmingly made me work for it. <laughs> And she said, okay, Dad, why? What is it that you so admire about me? What is it specifically that makes you proud of me as, your, as my dad? Wow. Now they've all got in on the act and they do it to me all the time. <laughs> but, you know, as you do this, as you speak encouragement and tell your children what you see in them and you speak positively over their lives, you just see their heads come up. You see their chests just swell a little bit. You see their head come up. It's just the most that you see them smile. They can't stop smiling when you start to just encourage them like that. It's one of my greatest privileges, one of my favorite things in the world, and it's powerful. Fathers, you need to speak highly of your children to others, even if they're out of earshot. And make sure that when you do it, you, you are specific in what you say. Don't just say you're great. Just say why they're great. Take time over it. Tell them exactly what you love and appreciate about them. Build them up and make them look good, and they will feel good, and they will be good. <laughs> it's the, the quickest way to get goodness out of your kids is to put goodness into them. Of course, I was just feeling in the worship, actually, a sort of prophetic sense of the father saying some lovely things over us, expressing his love over us. You know, one of the things we have to teach our children, which I think we need to learn, even as adults, with Father God, is how to receive compliments well. How to receive goodness from the Father. How to receive even what we say of one another. You know, sometimes when you say to somebody, you are amazing, I just love the way you do this, I love how you do that, you'll see them say, oh, I'll stop it, don't be silly. We need to teach people how to receive that courage and that compliment so that it builds them up. So that you can say things to people and they will actually say, yeah, thank you for that. I received that. I really appreciate that encouragement. Thank you so much for encouraging me, for taking that time today. So that when the Father God says over you, I love you, say, Lord, I love the fact that you love me. I'm going to suck that up. I'm going to drink it in. I'm going to take it in. I'm going to make that part of me. Because, you know, when you do that, you can give it away to other people as well. We need to create an environment like that in the church where we can encourage one another, where we can speak life over one another, where we can promote one another. And we say, thank you for that. I'm going to go and do that with somebody else. Do you like that? Do you like that word? 
Steve, you're amazing. I love you, man. There you go. Just a little practice there. Steve Smith, ladies and gentlemen. That was just a test. That was a test. Why? Why do I think Steve is amazing? Can you handle this, Steve? No. <laughs> just stand up a minute, Steve. It's okay. <laughs> who wants Steve to stand up so that we can tell him why? <laughs> Does anybody want to just help me with why we think Steve's amazing? He's always smiling and cheerful. Great man of God. He's got a generous heart. What else? Well, I don't know about the sense of humor. He's always got a good heart and he works hard. Good heart and works hard. Mate, I just love your gift of faith. I love your audacity to believe God for incredible miracles. I love the risks that you take. Despite what anybody else says or thinks, you're going to go and do it anyway. I love that about you. I love that dependence, on that vicious dependence on God. And God's told me to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I love that about you. I love that audacity. I think you're one of those guys who would go into a snowy pit and wrestle a lion just because. <laughs> I just see that in you, mate. I just love that about you. Yeah. Oh, I can't stop now. I want to carry on. Wow. It's interesting because I, I was feeling I wanted to bring that. And then Paul said, I want to introduce you today. And I was like, oh, come on, Paul. No, really. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, suck it up. <laughs> so even before I spoke today, it was like the Holy Spirit was on that. I want to encourage you to do that today whether it's to your kids or whether it's to somebody in the church, if you're a father in the faith, just go and take some time to just speak specific encouragement to somebody and tell them how you appreciate them. Because that's what great fathers do. That's what they do. Fourthly, great father is a pastor. Great father is a shepherd in the home, a spiritual leader in the home. And great fathers are pastors to their family primarily by their example and in their passion for God. Your secret prayer life <laughs> is somehow and mysteriously communicated to your children. Your spiritual hunger is somehow and mysteriously communicated to your children. It doesn't matter if you do it in front of them or if you do it in secret. Something happens in the supernatural realm where fathers take the lead spiritually and are committed men of God and passionate for God, and it affects the atmosphere of your home and affects your children. And a great father takes responsibility for the spiritual health and well-being of the family. So Paul, going back to that passage in um, Ephesians, which my children like to quote against me, is, Father, do not exasperate your children. It actually goes on to say, instead, fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate them, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Paul gives this responsibility to dads. You can't just leave it to your wife. It's your responsibility. I mean, different families do this in different ways. Some friends of ours used to have a daily devotional around the meal table every evening and if you were there that evening, you were part of that. You just had to fit in with it. 
and the dad would usually lead it, but as time went on, as the children grew up, different ones would take responsibility for that devotional. I've got to say that didn't quite work for us. Uh, We're not quite that organized as much as anything. But we always made a big deal of the bedtime routine. And we'd always make sure there was time to pray with the kids and leave time to talk. Guys, you know, your kids will talk to you at that time more than at any other time in the day because they don't want to go to sleep. (laughs) It's just an excuse to stay awake and get some more attention. Use it. (laughs) Make the most of it. Exploit it. Get them talking about their fears, their dreams, their desires. Discuss things with them. That's when the big questions come out. And it only happens in a window of time. As your children get older, they they don't want you to sing them lullabies to sleep. We've tried. (laughs) They don't want us to do bedtime prayers and read them a story anymore. Although it's interestingly, that pattern that's gone in over those years... I've noticed that it still seems to happen that the big conversations happen just before bedtime. Somehow it's wired in that that's the time I can sit down and have your full attention. And they'll talk then, so be available. Turn the telly off and just make sure you're available for that time. But it's also about praying in the moment. This is what we've learned. When things happen, take the time then to stop and just say, okay, let's just pray about that. Or let's just talk about that. Or what does the Bible say about that? With each situation that we face. So if something's going on, we would always make time to just sit down and chat. My mum started us on this. My mum was brilliant at this. When we were growing up, especially as teenagers, we'd sit down and have coffee with mum. And she'd just talk. She'd just let us talk. She'd just let us talk about whatever we wanted to talk about. And we've kind of carried that on, that good example uh, in the family. But it's about showing up, you know, dads particularly, showing up in a crisis, putting your children first, cancel meetings even. Things that seem to be important are not as important as your kids. Being a dad trumps everything else. So we recently, um, do you know, I go to lots of meetings and conferences, but there's only one conference, this has been recorded, but... There's only one conference I really, really want to go to. There's one that I will just put everything else aside to go to because I love it so much, especially when particular friends of mine are going to be there. So earlier on in the year, it was our prophetic conference, and I just love that conference. And I was going to have some time with my friend Julian and a few others. We were just going to have a prophetic wild time. and I was so excited about it. I've been looking forward to it all year. I was one of the first people to book in, and I just couldn't wait to go to this conference. And everybody in my family knew that that was the priority. I was going to that conference. And that week, my daughter had the biggest crisis, one of the biggest crises of her life. You know, one of her close friends tried to commit suicide, and she could not stop crying. And my daddy heart was just ripped by it. I wanted to be there, but I'm going to this conference. So what do I choose? I'm there. I'm with her. I cancel everything, and I'm going to see my daughter. I'm going to go and spend, I spend the day with her. I just let her talk, let her cry, and then we brought her home with us. 
because that's the priority. And she'd say, but Dad, it's your conference. You love that conference. Look, you can go. Now you brought me home. You can go. It's okay. At least you can catch Saturday. I said, no, you're the priority. And, you know, I didn't do it consciously. I wasn't thinking, oh, this will teach her a great lesson. That was a genuine thing from my heart. She's the priority. I cancelled. I didn't go. I missed out, if you like. But I didn't. And I also know that that meant more to her than a lot of other stuff I could have done by just prioritizing her and time with her. Being a dad trumps your work. (laughs) It trumps even what you enjoy. It trumps everything. It's the most important thing that you can do. Great fathers are pastors to their families. Just be there. Show up in the crisis and be there. And finally, great fathers are prophets. You know, there there can be no greater honor, I don't think, as a father than to prophesy over your children. And you don't have to be this great prophetic person to do it. You just speak greatness over them. You tell them what they can be. You speak about their future. You release destiny over them. You see the talent in them and you call out the gold. You know, to be a prophet, even when they mess up, even when they fail, calling them into the realization of their true identity, saying, come on, you're better than this. Not you can do better than this, but you are better than this. When you mess up, when you fail, when you have a disappointment, come on, you're better than this. Don't accept that label. Release their potential. Give them a vision of hope and possibility. And sometimes because of the troubles that we face in families, we inadvertently do the opposite and we bind or even curse our children and their future. This is a a very serious thing. I mean, remember Rachel, Jacob's wife. It says that in Genesis 35, you can read this harrowing story. She's, She's... finally pregnant and she's about to give birth but she was facing some difficulties the labor became protracted and she struggled and she wrestled and in pain and in bitterness of spirit she finally gave birth and then cried out with her dying breath the name of her son ben oni which means son of my sorrows she is it's not her fault she was in agony. She was in bitterness. She was, she was desperate. She was dying. She cried out what was effectively a curse, son of my sorrows. Jacob, the father, comes in to meet his son for the first time, sees the death of his wife and the pain she endures, but he says, no, no, that won't be his name. I want more for him than that. He will not bear that name. And Jacob gives him a new name, Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. This child has just caused the death of his wife. And yet Jacob says, no, you will not be called that name that my wife spoke out in her bitterness and grief, you're going to be the son of my right hand. Even before his son had taken a step, barely taken his first breath, 
He changed the future and shaped the destiny that the name that he gave him would give him. He spoke of authority and significance. He prophesied a greater destiny because that's what great fathers do. That's what great fathers do. So what are you speaking of your children about their future? What are you calling them to? What are you calling out of them? What do you see for them in the future? And you know, it's probably going to be more than you've experienced or more than you've had. Alison and I have often talked about a prophetic ambition that we have for our children, that we want to be the ceiling. We want our ceiling to be the floor that our children stand on. We want them to go further than us. We want them to do better than us. We want to promote them beyond us. We want to be proud of them in that way and release them into destiny, whatever that means for us. Because that's what great fathers, that's what great parents do. So this is, this is really what I wanted to bring to you today, five attributes of great fathers. And I want to just encourage you as fathers to aspire to greatness we can be good dads but i want to be great i want us to be great dads to be the father to your kids that you always wish that your father could be how about that use it now so often the lack that we see in our own fathers is something that can spur us to do it better ourselves Sometimes it's their lack, in their lack, that we see the route to true fatherhood. And can I also say that you're never going to get it all right. We're never going to get it all right, except this. You can be loving, you can be humble, and you can say sorry when you mess up. Actually, the humility of just doing that speaks volumes to our children and model something that they can follow in life and you can show your kids through your life and your actions the route to the only perfect father which is our heavenly father look at him see him be like him be inspired by him so that we can be more than just a good father but a great father for our kids